0: Hey friends, welcome to this episode of Her God Story, where you will always hear a good story, a God story, to build up your faith and equip you in your walk with the Lord. I'm your host, Jody Caracosta, ministry leader at Somebody Cares America International, author and traveler on this journey of faith. We have planes flying overhead today, so hopefully they won't be too disruptive, but uh, if you hear a plane, no, that's the sound of freedom. You know, when someone is walking with the Lord, there are so many tales of His kindness, faithfulness, and goodness in our lives, and it is impossible to relate them all in one telling. My guest Mary Beth Gilbert and I met for dinner recently and spent hours catching up on all that God had been doing in our lives. I know you will enjoy her as much as I do. Like me, Mary Beth Gilbert is passionate about encouraging women to fulfill their destiny in the Lord She desires to come alongside women to help them grow in different areas of their lives. Married for over 36 years, she uses her knowledge and wisdom to help other women, like you and me, walk through different seasons of their lives. And she loves to encourage mothers in biblical and practical ways of caring for their children, including how to balance work and motherhood. Mary Beth has served in various aspects of ministry for over 32 years, even while working in the business and academic worlds, she's co founder of Empowered Living International with her husband Daniel and is a national and international Christian women's speaker and Bible teacher. Her favorite roles, though, are wife to Daniel and mother to Maria, who is now in college. Mary Beth, you were the director of financial aid at Regent University when I was there working on my master's degree, and that's where we met. That was quite a few years ago. We won't talk about that, but God has done so much in and for and through you since then. And I'm excited for our listeners to hear your God stories. So welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Jody. It's great to be here. And I'm so glad God has brought us back together and reconnected after all these years and living on different coasts. And so glad
0: to be here. About a week or so ago, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw that your beloved dog, Joy, had gone missing Mm. Yes. Oh my goodness. Yes.
1: She was gone for about four days. It was a dog sitting accident Mm. and four nights and four days she spent in the woods on the Virginia Wesleyan University Mm. and just nothing but a miracle of God that he returned her to us. And we're so thankful There was a lot of learning and life lessons that came out of that story, which I hope to share it sometime too. I bet.
0: (laughs) Well, my husband Ron and I, we love dogs and we were just heartbroken. So we joined a lot of others to pray she'd be found. And when I saw you post that she was there, we were rejoicing with you. Yeah.
1: And you know, the thing is, is, uh, as I think about a couple of things from that experience, she was lost. She was completely lost and she could not save herself. Does that sound like something about us and the Lord? (laughs) Yes. How lost we are and we really can't save ourselves. We need a savior. And in her situation, when she was found and she managed to come out of the woods and come towards our older border collie and and my husband, Daniel, when she got to them, she was one big, filthy, dirty, stinky (laughs) mess. I bet. (laughs) And he didn't care. Right. She just loved on him. He hugged her, totally accepted her. And I think just kind of, isn't God like that with us? We can, we can come to him. In our mess and in our filth and in our stinkiness. And he doesn't care. He loves us so much and welcomes us. And that was just one of the things in the return of her that I I realized the next day. Wow, Lord that was a good example of how you just love us. You don't tell us to go get cleaned up first. Mm. You don't say save yourself. And when you get it together, then come and how so much of really her story, which like I said, I'll share another time. um, Really, really opened my eyes to see the father's love for us. He speaks
0: to us through just about everything. Doesn't he? Oh boy. He does. He really does. Yes. Well, let's go back to the beginning for you. Really? Um, Tell us your salvation story and, you know, when did Jesus become real to you and change your life? Well, really it started, I was a miracle baby
1: because um, my mother had lost, uh, miscarried um, a couple babies before me and three after me. So when she found out she was pregnant with me, Um, She went and the doctor gave her a drug. It was a DES drug and she um, took that. But even so, obviously I survived, Um, but she, I was stuck behind her pelvic bone. Mm. And in those days, they didn't like just go get you in two weeks. You know, I was stuck. I was four weeks late. Wow. And then the umbilical cord was all wrapped around my neck and the doctor's like, oh, wow. You know, it's amazing that she came out. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so that was the first salvation. He saved me where I could be born and live. Um, but I sensed God's hand on me as a young child, actually. Um, we, I was raised in a nominal Christian home. Jesus was not the topic of our dinner conversations. Um, my mom and dad took us to church off and on. We moved a lot. So sometimes it would take a little bit of time when you move to a new area to find a church. And so, um, so there were some seasons where we weren't going, but when I was about 10 years old, I remember we had just moved back from the Bahamas. We lived in the Bahamas three years when I was young. And so we moved back to Miami and um, we started going to this church. It was an Episcopal church. And um, one Sunday, you know, I noticed nobody in the family was up. I woke up um i had a younger sister five years younger than me and then an older sister and an older brother so i couldn't boss them around but the younger yeah. one i could <laughs> so i woke up got her ready got a cereal got us dressed and then went in and woke up my dad and said take us to church please and so after that he started calling me his holy child oh. <laughs> i was the only one up and getting ready for church but anyway he joked with me about that But I remember even young, 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 I would lay in bed and the only prayer I knew at night was now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. But tears would run down. Mm -hmm. Tears would run down. And I remember one time my dad did come in and my mom came too. But I remember my dad saying, why are you crying? I said, Oh, I just am. I didn't say why, and he, and at that point, uh, we had a three-bedroom house, so my two sisters were in the other room in, in bunks, and then my brother and I were in the the, the second bedroom. So he said, um, "Are you are you scared about something? Are you afraid?" And and uh, before I could really say anything, he said, "Don't worry. If there's a boogie monster in here, your brother would just roll out of bed and smash him, and you'll be just fine. So go to sleep." <laughs> But I never really had a chance to say I'm praying. So I think that, um, you know, the Lord just had had me at that point in my life beginning to work sensitively in my heart yeah. towards the things of God. At 14 years old, we had um, moved from Miami up to near West Palm Beach area. And my sister's best friend from Miami came up to visit and she shared the gospel with me and my older sister. And mm-hmm. we came to know the Lord then. However, I was still in an Episcopal church, and they didn't really have too much going on in that church, Um, but there was a Sunday school class that I went to, and I remember one story the leader talked about, like, never get mad if you get a flat tire on the side of the road, because... God could be saving you from an accident. And I, like something like that thing, lessons like that would stick to me. Yeah. You know, so I was always mindful of maybe God is doing things and working in our lives, um, even through stuff like that. But I didn't really have any discipleship training or anything like that. I would read out of Proverbs and Psalms. I could relate to them a lot. I remember I was 15, 16 years old. And then I kind of just kind of wandered and it was night when I was 19, I rededicated my life to the Lord. I started going to about, Baptist church and rededicated my life. And shortly after that.
0: So that's pretty young in life. I mean, you were, you know, you came to the Lord when you were 14, but without a lot of family influence, you just trying to hear from the Lord, but he was speaking to you. Even Mm -hmm. in the midst of that, he Mm -hmm. was speaking to you and in your young little heart, giving you little bits of truth along the way that was formative, I'm sure.
1: Yes, they're they're still, I still remember them to this day. And it's always ministered to me that God really does work in the day-to-day, you know, things of life.
0: You know, you're young, you're launching out in life. I'm sure you had plans um, for your life. And, you know, how did God direct your steps. Had he given you those plans or did he change them along the way?
1: Well, I was seeking him my late teens, early twenties. Once I rededicated my life, there were some, you know, lessons. I know even in high school, after I came to know the Lord, I would just pray a little bit. Like um, sometimes be like, just protect me or show me something. But I, again, I was, I didn't have a plan, plan, plan. It's not like I felt at that point, I remember, um, you know, and this is kind of uh, um, off topic a little bit. When I was in high school, I was on the homecoming court. I remember my senior year when that happened, I had some girls pull me aside and say, look, if you'll go to all the parties on Friday night then more people will get to know you. We had a large high school of like 2500 students. More people will get to know you. Come on, come on and they would like every week almost like come on, come on. And I really had no desire and I don't know if that was just because I had said you know a simple prayer like lord protect me yeah. or or I just wanted to know his will for my life. I I wasn't really sure but I just had no interest at all. Oh, um, I to I, do that.
0: Yeah, when I was in when I was in high school, I was, I got saved when I was six, um, but you know, when I was in high school, I dabbled with friends and parties and I can think of many experiences where I was foolish. I was a foolish young woman and uh, could have gotten in a lot of trouble, but the Lord's protection was around me. Even then, even yes. in my foolishness, my sin and my disobedience, Right, right. Uh, you know, sneaking out when my parents thought I was tucked away in bed, but the Lord protected me right. from
1: What could have been, yeah, same here. The Lord protected me from a lot too. And um, so anyway, I ended up winning. I I said to the Lord, you know, the point wasn't that I ended up winning and becoming the homecoming queen. What it was, was that I said, Lord, thank you that I had enough strength where I didn't have to go out and do things that weren't me Mm -hmm. to try and get votes or to try and be liked. Or, you know, and I, that was a big lesson for me. And like I said, it wasn't the winning, it was the fact that was it a test? Yeah. In my young age, even. Are you, and I tell young girls this all the time never, never, never compromise who you are just to get something or just to be popular because you will be blessed if you don't succumb to that and later you'll you'll be thankful. But yeah, I did other stupid things and I think that um the Lord again, his protection as I look back, I'm like, oh wow, whew, Yeah. save me from that one, Lord.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know? no, exactly. But
1: it was in those later years in my teens when I began to really think, Okay, okay, Father, I rededicate my life now what is really the purpose and the plan here that you have for me? And he led me, I was going to Baptist church and then he led me up to Mars Hill college, which is where I did meet my husband. But the thing there was my brother kept saying, go to university of Florida. I'm there. He was there and he loved it. And I visited him several times. I loved it too, but I just sensed God was not leading me there. And that I wanted to go to a smaller college and then, we know why.
0: You met Daniel there. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: uh, but you, you weren't all that enthralled with him at first. I mean, it took quite a while for him to win you over.
1: Yes. Now that is a whole long story, but <laughs> I'll try and make it short here. He was a wonderful young man. And I think the one thing that did attract me that I noticed about him even before we were dating, I was new to that college. So I had transferred up, I had gotten my uh, AA degree at Palm Beach State, Mm -hmm. and then I transferred up to Mars Hill College, now University, and my boyfriend went with me up there for initial visit. I wasn't too thrilled because I really didn't think this relationship was going to last. But anyway, he was there. But I noticed that Daniel took such interest in helping him because he wanted to try out for the football team. And Daniel was already on on the team. And so I just noticed his kindness. Mm. And then once I got there on campus, and of course, the boyfriend and I broke up like two or three weeks after we were there. I noticed, I would still see Daniel like in the cafeteria and around campus. And I noticed that he was just kind to people. And I, I just loved that. Like I was drawn to that. Like he's not a typical, you know, prideful. When he was driving, yeah, he wasn't quite
0: so (laughs) Not so gracious when he was behind the wheel, huh? (laughs) Yes, And
1: a couple things like that. But for the most part, I really... Yeah, so I just watched him at a a distance. And Mm -hmm. then it was probably about six months later, um, we began, we were in a little prayer meeting together and got to know each other. And then,
0: you know, he asked me out. When you started going out, did you just rush to the altar after that? Oh,
1: no no, no. So we had quite a journey. We dated for about two years and broke up about seven times within the two years. <laughs> and he kept coming back for more. Oh, God bless his heart. He was steadfast. He was immovable. He was waiting for me to work things out because he, he knew I had to work a couple of things out. So he was very, very patient. I, I think part of my problem was, unfortunately, my parents divorced when I was 14. Mm. I remember shortly after that thinking, wow, I don't know that I'll be able to really get married. My parents, there was nothing obvious in our house that would say this was going to happen. It's not like... You know, they were fighting all the time. It's not like we were all a wreck or anything like that. Now, as a married woman, looking back, I can see where some of the breakdown uh, probably occurred. But at that time, as a young teenage girl, oh, I thought, oblivious. even my best friend said, well, if your parents can't make it, who can? That's why it was so shocking. And fear, I think, began to set in mm. on me. Fear, commitment, fear of being able to be married and follow that out and, you know, not, always lived selfishly. That was in me. And then also uh, my older sister had been engaged and that didn't work out. And then was called off a couple of months before the wedding. And then I thought, oh, that doesn't sound good either. You know, so that just kind of played into it a little bit. Yeah. So the poor, I had to wrestle with all of this. Mm -hmm. And the thing about it was, it was during that time, at the same time, I began to sense that I was going to be called into full-time ministry. Mm. So I'm like, well, how am I going to be called into full-time ministry? And I'm battling these fears and you know I was anxious about commitments and stuff like that but he Daniel was he was my best friend he became my best friend through all that we talked about certain stuff and he was just strong and steadfast good looking very driven very authentic I think that was the other thing not only was kindness but I saw his authenticity yeah and I just those qualities I just began to fall fall in love with but I was still battling that
0: you graduated from college and Mm -hmm. then and so did daniel Mm -hmm. um and he joined the staff of fellowship of christian athletes and you went back to florida which is actually where he was but not to the same city
1: that was interesting how we both ended up in orlando so he got that job i went back to west palm Beach. So he said, well, if you want our relationship to work, you're really going to have to you know, make it to Orlando. And I said, well, God's going to have to just put me there because I just really didn't have any desire to go to Orlando. And uh, so I, my brother said, well, come to Tampa and um, why don't you look for a job here? And, you know, one thing led to another. And I ended up, I don't know how I ended up in the state office.
0: Yeah, before. state employment office. Yes.
1: Huh? And um talking with this man, and I looked around his office. He had scriptures everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how many times now today you'll see that. Yeah. <laughs> but he did, and I was like, wow. I said, You must be a Christian with all these wonderful scriptures. And he said, Yes. And then we got talking about the Lord. And after a while he said, You know, I just don't think that you should be here in Tampa. And I was like, whoa okay, I'm here looking for a job and you tell me I'm not supposed to be in the city. (laughs) Anyway, I did end up having, getting a job interview in Lakeland at a big church. And then I ended up getting a job interview in Orlando. And so the one in Lakeland on my way there, they canceled the meeting. And so I kept on going, got to Orlando, had an interview there, was offered the job, had a place to live in two days and it just all fell right into place. So that's how... We both got to Orlando.
0: (laughs) And then you still, I mean, even with God putting you in the same city, you still hesitated and weren't quite sure that marriage was for
1: you. Right, right. But God Uh, actually spoke to you. He did. So I get to Orlando. We're dating again, again. We we broke up maybe one or two more times during that stretch. Uh, Poor guy. I feel so bad. I've asked him to forgive me, (laughs) which he has. You know, I just was. Thinking, Lord, you know this probably isn't supposed to be this way. Am I making this bigger than it should be? What's going on? And and God began to reveal you know, the the fear in my heart. Then it got to the point I knew that he was the one for me. I had gone to our youth, not our youth pastor. He was like a young adult pastor at our church. God led us to the same church. Mm. I ended up going on staff. Separately. Yeah, separately. And then I ended up going on staff at that church. And one of the pastors there over young adult, um, he was close with with Daniel and been close with him and then of course he knew me from, from work and then we got into the same group and I was just really upset about it all one day. It's like, Lord, what is my problem? Why am I, you know, just why is this hard for me? And yeah. most girls it's fairy tale, you know, Hollywood love and they run off and get married. And I was just overthinking things and and it wasn't so much I was overthinking things. It was it was more of that fear was still in there. Yeah. So I went to, um I was walking after our morning opening prayer and I was walking back to my office and I at church and I was hoping I would not see, his name was Ron, I was hoping I would not see him because I knew he would ask me how I was doing and I knew I would flood open tears. <laughs> so I was just hoping nobody was around. Well, of course, nobody but Ron was around and he asked me how I was doing and I just lost it. So he said, come in my office. And we got talking about the whole relationship thing and he, what are you looking for? And I went through it and he said, Daniel's got that. Daniel's got this. Daniel's got that. And it's not that he had to convince me. It's just that, you know, fear just really plays havoc with you yeah. if you give it time and if you give it energy and thought. And so Ron helped me just kind of get that out of the way. So there we have it. Men then we're dating and it's time where, okay, it gets to the point though, where Daniel says, look... He comes over and he says, I want you to know I am called to full-time ministry and I believe you're supposed to be with me, Mm -hmm. but if not, I must go on and I must serve the Lord with or without you. And that was powerful. Yeah. And then I knew that's the one I want to be with. Yeah. That he was willing at that point to say, you know what? I've waited, I've been patient, I've helped you, but I've got to serve the Lord with or without you, but I want you with me. And you know, that
0: is so powerful because how many people, men or women Mm -hmm. will say, I'm going to follow God regardless. I'm going to do what God wants me to do regardless. I love you, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I'm going to put God first. Right. And you know, when, when, when we're with those people or we see those people or we can, we can really trust them Mm -hmm. because I mean, not that they will never fail, but we can, you know, if they are willing to lay everything on the line for the Lord, you know, we can, we can really trust them.
1: Right. And he felt that God had told him I was to be his wife like a couple years before that. Mm. So this whole thing tested his faith and his trust. And he had people praying all over the place. One guy, though, said, you know what? I'm tired of praying. I've been praying for a long time for her. She's just not coming around. (laughs) I was like, thank God Danny didn't give up on me and the Lord, of course. He was There's where that steadfast came in and he was willing to sacrifice me to fulfill his call to the Lord. But the Lord knew that he He built up his faith and his trust. Mm. And then he delivered me. But I did get engaged in a sense in faith, which I could never tell young girls because I never want them to go out and do this. Right? It was just me wrestling with this whole thing with the Lord and laying down the fear and trusting I, because I, I don't think I ever said this to the Lord, but I know I felt it like I wanted him to write it on the wall. Mary Daniel Gilbert. Yeah. (laughs) And he just would not do that. And so um, I, I, but getting over that a little bit, he said, I think it's time that I speak with your father. He wanted to ask my dad for my hand in marriage. You want to be sure he had that blessing. Yeah. And of course I just Blew up all his wonderful plans and romanticism that he had, and how to propose to me and everything else. Poor guy. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so one time I called him, but then my dad was like, "Yeah, come on." And but then we ended up canceling, and I just said, "You know, just take me to the park." And I went, and I just read scripture. He went to church, and again, I was still wrestling. And so then the next time, okay ready this time. So he said, I called my dad and I said, dad, I said, "Um, Daniel wants to come see you or you come here. And he said, okay, I'll come there. And he said, and he knew what it was about, but he said, what does he want? And I said, well, I think he wants to ask you for my hand in marriage. And so my dad, knowing what I had been through, but loved him, loved Daniel. He, He was out of the guys I dated. He liked him the best. He had told me that. But he said to me, when I said he wants to ask you for my hand in marriage, he said, sweetheart, what do you want me to say? (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was so sweet because he loved him, you know, but yet he was just willing to do whatever he felt I needed at that moment. I was like, it's good. It's good. So he came over to the house and got that approval. And of course, my dad's advice was just get life insurance because if anything happens to you, I want my daughter taken care of. (laughs) she did. It's and, a good dad. Uh, so the proposal came. Um, it was nothing exciting. He just showed up at my house. He was getting ready to go to North Carolina for uh, FCA camp. And he just came over. He said, can I make you breakfast? I was like, yeah. And I went back to my room while he was making breakfast. And I thought, Lord, is he here to ask me to marry him? But, like, he didn't give me any, any heads up I about the Lord say yes. And I said, well, you just need to say yes right through me then if if he's the one. And the Lord said out of Hebrews 11, without faith, it's impossible to please me. And then I was like, what? <laughs> what, God? You want me to do this in faith as so I wrestled with the Lord? Are you kidding me? Like, nobody does this in faith. Like, why are you having me? This is the biggest decision in my life next to accepting you as my Lord. And I'm going on and on. But you loved him. But I loved him. And yeah. I knew he, he was he was quality and I did want to marry him. So I, I calmed down from that. So I go out and we eat breakfast. And afterwards, he got on one knee and he asked me to marry him. And I said, Yes, as if I'd been waiting like all this time. <laughs> <laughs> no he was, hesitation. He was like, Sure. I was like, Yes. And then one key point before we move to the next thing is I remember then praying, Lord, after he left to go on a strip, I prayed, Father. If this is your perfect will, I pray for the peace that passes all understanding. And if it is not, I pray for turmoil. I've never asked God for turmoil. You don't
0: ask for turmoil. Right.
1: But I felt like I just needed that confirmation. And I always kid people, I'm the confirmation child of God. I need confirmations <laughs> all the time. So about 45 minutes later, and I've never had this since, a peace came upon me. It Like it just fell slowly and gradually on the top of my head all the way down my body. My whole body relaxed all the way down to my toes. And it was a peace that I just never experienced. Like all that fear, like everything was being washed away. Mm. And it's
0: been smooth sailing ever since. I never looked back. Well, that is a good story. And you got married. Yes. And not long after that, Daniel felt led to go to seminary full-time. So what was that conversation and decision-making like? I mean, how did God provide for you in that? Here you are, a young couple, and sort of kind of getting established, and now you have to uproot and and move.
1: Right. Well, a couple of things. I mentioned earlier how I felt God calling me into full-time ministry. So once we did get engaged, he said, oh, I think I need to tell you something. And I said, okay, what is that? <laughs> and he said, I feel called to pastor at some point in my life. And I knew he'd probably teach to me. He was already teaching. And and I said, oh, well, let me go get something for you. When I was in college and I was seeking the Lord, I felt the Lord tell me that I was going to marry a pastor. Oh. I didn't tell anybody. In fact, in my prayer book, it says future husband. And in parentheses, it's got capital P period, capital W period for pastor's wife for me. But I thought if anybody found that, they wouldn't know what that stood for. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I went and I got that prayer book and I showed him because I'd written out my prayers Mm -hmm. and I showed him that. And he was like, oh, wow. And I said, that's just perfectly fine for me. So the call to seminary then wasn't a shock. You know, one thing my mother had told me when i in my late teens, when all this was going on, and I realized now it wasn't for me. It was for the man I was going to marry. Yeah. She said, you know, Mary Beth, without risk, you'll never get anywhere in life. And I thought, wow. So when Daniel started, we've moved a lot. And as we progress through the story, our listeners will hear it. But that was... Um, You know, that was, okay, let's go. And then God's provision that we were church service before we moved. We were in Orlando. We were getting ready to move up to Virginia Beach in about two months. Mm -hmm. And so we had this ministering healing team come through and they were sharing and the worship was wonderful they started praying for people all kinds of healings it was just a real dynamic time and i felt like we were to give to their ministry and and daniel felt the same thing too so he leaned over to me and said what do you think god's telling you to give and i said well and a number popped into my mind immediately and i said well what do you and it was big i said <laughs> what do you think he's telling us to give and he said what do you think? And then I knew I needed to tell him. So I told him, which was about a third of our savings. Wow. Which we were going up to seminary. We didn't have a no, scholarship at that point. No promise of we a didn't job. Have no promise of a job. So he goes, well, I'm going to have to pray about that. <laughs> I said, okay, it was off of me. I told him what I thought, you know, he could think about it and yay or nay it. Yeah. So that night he couldn't sleep all night long. Kept him up all night long. He kept thinking about and thinking about him. finally was like, okay, Lord, this just doesn't make sense. But he got up at five something in the morning, wrote a check and about seven, he was at the hotel where they were staying, gave him the money. And then we moved up here. I got a job where he got 75% off of
0: his tuition.
1: Wow. And then later he ended up getting a $25 academic scholarship. So the whole thing was paid.
0: For. You know, that is a very similar story to mine because I graduated from college I wasn't married, but the Lord told me to go to graduate school. And I had no just, I mean, I I went to college out of obedience. I wanted to be a hairdresser. So then when I graduated, he told me to go to graduate school. So I went to graduate school. I got a job there as well. And I got that 75% tuition remission. And then I got a 25% academic scholarship. So I was going for free as well. It's a great story how God
1: provides, but you know, he tested us in obedience first, wasn't it? You know, obedience for us to give and then obedience for you just to go anyway when you didn't have the money to to do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad I did. I ended up getting two degrees up there, but you know, God is faithful. He doesn't provide for everybody the same way, but he always provides. And I worked
1: in financial aid and I saw that it wasn't the same for everybody, but he did, he would provide.
0: After his master's degree, he wanted to get a doctorate. And this time it was in Scotland. So your faith had been built up through the whole graduate degree scenario. Yes, But Scotland, that's a bigger step of faith. It sure is. And so he tells me
1: this about when he's got about a year left. And, you know, it's one of these, can we sit down and talk moments? (laughs) (laughs) And again, I go back to my mom. If you don't take a risk, you're never going to get anywhere. You know, that wasn't, that was for me because of him. Yeah. He was always that risk taker. And um so he shared with me everything. It was on his heart and he said, I believe this is what the Lord wants, you know. And he big decisions, he was always respectful of my input. Mm -hmm. And um, so he said, What do you think? And it just came out of me. I just the table and said, Let's go. And he was like, Really? I'm like, (laughs) Yeah. And then it was like, Oh, well, how are we gonna manage there? How are we gonna pay for things? What's the tuition? And all of a sudden I went into my business mode. Yeah. He's like, God. God will provide and he's provided you know now and it was a funny story is when we did leave orlando to go to seminary up in virginia beach my father-in-law said well son how are you going to pay for it and he said well dad the lord will provide and his dad said yes he will just remember i'm not the lord yeah <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah the other so, father the other father will provide
1: so here we are i resign from Regent mm-hmm. and we're packing up and we're getting ready flying out the beginning of August. Now he had gotten a pastorate job over there. So we knew we were going to have a place to live and the church was going to help supply some of our basic needs, mm-hmm. household items, but we still did not have tuition. And so we needed $10,000 like in a month, Daniel wrote a letter to a prominent figure in our area. And, uh, and then we prayed like crazy that the actual letter would get to him. Finally, it did. And like two weeks later, uh, we have the answer. And it's like, yes, when do you need the check? Wow. And I was like, oh, wow. So that really leaped my faith. Like, okay. So that was the first year. And then the same individual provided for year two, year three, and year four. And so he graduated with his PhD from the University of Aberdeen. Wow. Debt-free as well.
0: And your so, first pastor's job, yes, his and, first pastor's job, which really my yes. wife is part of that team, that was in Scotland. Right. Kind of different culture even. Totally
1: different culture. Love the people. You know, once they really get to know you, they're like family. But it was interesting at first because when we first got there, I was tired from working at Regent for four years (laughs) (laughs) and putting him through school and all that. So I thought, I'm just going to take a little time off. Well, that doesn't always happen with the Lord. So, but I, I went over there and I brought some Bible study books with me. And so some of the women, two women in particular in the church, heard that I had some experience with working with women and Bible studies and that kind of thing. So they said, um, Mary Beth, uh, we'd like for you to start a Bible study. And I said, oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) And they said, yes. And I said, look, I said, thank you. I said, just give me some time. I'm just really tired. I'm just going to, you know. And really, I was thinking I wanted to just learn myself. I just wanted to be in the presence of the Lord myself and take that time myself and not have to prepare anything. And they, there was some prayer meeting going on at church, and every time I went to the prayer meeting, those same two women would say the same thing. And th- then they'd say, Well, there she goes, trying to get out of it again. And <laughs> I, so finally, I said, You know what? I will pray about it. I hadn't even prayed about it. I said, Okay, I will at least pray about it. And so when I went to the Lord in prayer, I was like, Lord, you know, you know what's going on. What do you want me to do? You really want, and I just, I really don't
0: want to do this, Lord. That's okay, right? (laughs) It's okay. Give me
1: permission. And you know how I'm feeling right now about that. And I just felt like the Lord say, do it. Mm. And that was it. It was two words, like, do it. I was like, Okay, done. So then and then I started putting out little flyers. And the church at that time had like a real women's social group. Like they did a lot of social outings. So when they found out this was going to be a Bible study, the culture yeah. was different. They were like, well, you know, that doesn't work here like it does in America. And I said, well, we never know unless we try. So let's just put it out there and see. And, you know, God did amazing things. The group just took off. People were starving for the word of God. Mm. Then other people around the country started asking me, like, how did you do that? We want to do that in our church. And it grew to... All over Scotland, and till this day, it is still going. Our little heart to heart groups. Yeah.
0: Wow! In Scotland, are still wow. Doing that, God so. used you to really start a whole nationwide <laughs> discipleship program for women, just by saying, "Do it." Yeah, do it.
1: That was it. That was the two words, "Do it." It's wow. Like, okay, you know when you hear that inner small still. Voice, you, you just do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you know, what I've found is God usually says those do it things when it's bigger than we can do ourselves, yeah. And we have to rely on him. It has to be full dependence on him. Because if we can do it in our own strength, we're going to do it on our own strength. And then God's not going to get the glory. And
1: I was, t- I didn't have the strength at that time, but he, and, and it revived me. Yeah. It revived me
0: as well. So you were there for what, two, three years? Four years. Four years. Okay. And then... Mm-hmm. You moved back to the States and you s- did a church plant.
1: Yes, yes. And we do not advise ever coming back and finishing a PhD and trying to start a church at the same time. We Life lessons, you learn the hard way, and that was one of them for us. That's right. But we did see God do a lot of wonderful things in our church that we had in Chesapeake. Great staff, great you know, salvations, healings, financial miracles, unchurched people were coming, which we absolutely loved, um, discipleship programs. We had a lot of kids. At one time, we joked that we had as many kids as we did adults, and we joked that we were the Catholic church, really. You know? <laughs> but a big lesson came out of one Sunday service there, Yeah. and that was it, things just, we met at a school. Things just went off that day. I mean, like my husband didn't feel like the sermon went well. Our worship leader was perturbed about technical difficulties with, you know, going on with the equipment and he felt like the worship was off. Um, It was just one thing after another. It was just one of those days. We're trying to do everything right. You know, because it's a new church plan, you want to attract people to come And everything was off this day. So at the end, thank God, Daniel still had the wherewithal to say, hey, do you need the Lord? He just put out the gospel and put out an altar call. And lo and behold, a whole group of people came up and got saved. Wow. And the big lesson, as I reflected on that later, I thought everything was so imperfect. Yeah. Like we did not do perfect. I still don't do perfect. My family, we don't do perfect in our home. God moves in the imperfect. And his lesson to me after that Sunday service when everything went wrong and he saved all these people was like, he doesn't need everything to go
0: perfect to move and accomplish his his purposes. Boy, we need to hear that today, don't we? We don't do perfect. Yeah. I mean, so many, so many of us and so many people think God can only move through perfection the scripture says, be holy, be perfect, be holy, be perfect, because I am perfect and I am holy. But that doesn't mean the same thing as we think. Right. We've, you know, mm-hmm. we think perfection is all of our ducks in a row, and he thinks perfection is hearts after him.
1: Yes, that's right. And willingness and obedience. And and now we're all about excellence. My husband and I, we strive to do everything we do with excellence. We're faithful wherever we're working or what we're doing, um, all of that. But that whole thing of perfect, you know, it, it relaxed me to the point where, okay, Lord, what are you going to do in this
0: situation? Because it's a
1: mess. And he uses our, he brings messages out of our messiness.
0: Yeah, he does. That's when we learn the most. Yeah, When we think we're doing everything right, we kind of don't really. Right. We think we we're there. (laughs) (laughs) So along the way, you and Daniel started talking about having a family. We start talking about children, but a decade or so later, it still hadn't happened. How did you cope with that disappointment? And what were you feeling? And what did you do? What was that journey like? Well,
1: wow. well, that is a loaded question because we were had infertility for 17 years. Oh, wow. Before God placed a baby in our arms. Actually, we started testing and doing infidelity treatments when we were here at Regent. He was working on his Master's of Divinity because at Regent, I had the insurance and it covered some of that. Yeah. So we went ahead and thought, well, why not? It just wasn't happening. And so we went through all the testing. I had several surgeries. I ended up having some endometriosis, which they thought was part of the problem. But I had surgery for that three times. Mm. And you have like a certain window of time after that where you should be able to conceive. And I still wasn't. I also was thinking my mother took that DES drug back in the sixties and seventies, they were given women. Mm -hmm. And of course she didn't know, you know, I was the only child she took it with and uh, she had had two children, then lost two, then, you know, had me, Mm -hmm. then lost three and then had my sister. So my mother, my parents married very young. They were 18 and 19. And my mother was pregnant from age 20 to 29 every Year. Oh my gosh. So, this was a real shock to me to be having infertility problems because I thought, knowing that, I thought, wow, it's going to be easy. He's going to look at me and I'm going to get pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, it was just going to be crazy simple. And it wasn't. But I remember when I was 15, my mom sat me down and she said, I want to tell you, um, there's an article that's come out about this drug. I believe it was the one that I took with you. And I've contacted the doctor's office back over in Port Charlotte in Florida. Um, She said, I can't, I I can't get the definite confirmation, but I'm pretty sure this was it. And it was that DS drug And they were, there was an article in the newspaper about women that produced female offspring. Those women were having problems getting pregnant and there were some other things going on. So she said, as soon as you turn 18, you know, go to the gynecologist and get things checked out and tell them and all that. So all of this was going through my head. So maybe it was that drug, maybe it was endometriosis, you know, what God, you know, what's going on here. About five years into the infertility, I called a friend of mine who was a pastor's wife down in North Carolina. She had had some infertility, but then ended up conceiving. And I called her, I, Daniel was actually out of the country. He was in South Korea okay. for a conference. I called Marilyn. I said, look, I come home from Regent, from work. I closed the blinds. I just, sh- I was just, I, I had, you know, it was that time of the month. It was like, oh, great. Okay. So I called Marilyn. It's like, how did you get through this? Like, I am just, you know, I'm really tired, you know, yeah. And we're on year five. Little did I know how many people yeah. <laughs> had to go. So <clears throat> she said, she was very wise, but she said, you know what? I think we better hang up. Now I was calling to get some consolation And she's telling me, I think we better hang up because I want you to go and talk to the Lord. I want you to spend the night with the Lord and just get in his presence. I was like, okay, goodbye, you know. (laughs)
0: Thanks (laughs) for nothing.
1: That's when really I closed the blinds and and I just got my Bible and I just prayed. And that night I was led to take communion. Something happened. Mm. I can't even tell you the scriptures I read. I can't even tell you the prayers I prayed. But something happened where I felt led to take communion by myself yeah. in my home that I would serve the Lord with or without children, mm-hmm. that he brought me to that place that will you serve me with or without children, whether I give you what you're asking for or not, will you serve me? And of course I said Yes. And took communion, and I pretty much was like, you know, Lord, it's all up to you now. Now, my plan—you know how—sure, have our own plans sometimes in our head. Sure. So my plan was—I was one of four children. Daniel's one of four children. I thought, hey, four children are great. We had a lot of fun. I would like four children, Lord, and I would like three biological, and I would like one adopted, and I we had been to South Korea. we have been to Asia back in 1988. My mom had airline tickets that she gave us to go anywhere in the world. And so we went to Asia
0: mm-hmm. and
1: we visited missionaries in South Korea and China, Hong Kong and Japan. And so on the way back from that trip, I remember saying to Daniel, you know what? God's really touched my heart. If he ever calls us to adopt, this was back in 88. we had only been married three years.
0: Oh, okay. Long before you even started trying.
1: <laughs> yes. So I said, if he ever called us to adopt, I would like to adopt from South Korea. And he was like, yeah. And that was it. Tucked away. Never thought anything about it. Just went on our our journey, yeah. But that was my plan that I had told the Lord about. I didn't ask him. I just said that would be my plan if I could make it. Yes. <laughs> well, as we know, the biological ones never came to
0: pass. I'm sure you've heard James 127 before. It says pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You only have to glance at global news to see the level of distress brought on by wars, disasters, persecution, and trafficking are horrendous. That is why Somebody Cares created the Widows and Orphan Fund. As a company of women, we can do so much together to take care of the special needs and cultivate the special gifts of children He has put in the care of our ministry partners around the world, as well as widows who serve the Lord faithfully in ministry and are now in need. Pray about joining our number with a gift at HerGodStory.org and click on Help Now. If you have cryptocurrency, we even accept that. And thank you for caring. So 17 years later, I mean, you kind of had resolved that pregnancy was not going to happen and maybe even resolved that you were going to be without children?
1: Until, a big until. 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 We were at our denominational conference in Denver, and this is 2001. And I got on the plane. It was a busy week, so I was I was kind of behind on my devotions and all that. I got on the plane. I was going to Florida. I was going to visit my mom. I would go down there every summer and stay with her a week or two. So I was on the plane. I was getting caught up my devotions, and the devotion was on Elisha and the Shunammite woman and Elisha would travel and minister you know God used him to do miracles and so I'm reading the story and this Shunammite woman she was a a woman of means so she and her husband had money and every time Elisha was coming through they would offer him food and and help and so she finally said to her husband you know we should make and build an upper room for him because he comes through a lot and let's just make a room and he can rest here and You know, it'd be a place for him. And um, so he was so blessed by that, that he wanted to do something for her. So he said to his servant, go ask the Shunammite woman. He says, ask her what she wants or what she needs. And, And then I'll just read the scripture said, then he said to his servant, call the Shunammite woman when he had called her, she stood before him. Well, let me back up. Actually, he, the servant told her, you know, she doesn't have children. She doesn't have a son. And so, um, so he calls for the woman. And so she's at the door. And he said to her, now, look, you have been concerned with us and providing all this care for us as I'm traveling. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people. So he said, What then is to be done for her? And the servant answered, actually, she has no son and her husband's old. So basically it's kind of like, she's "She's not not going to have one, right? So then he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said about this time next year you shall embrace a son. And she said, and this is key because this is what hit me. Two things hit me. Yeah. The timing and then know <ouve> my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Mm-hmm. Okay. So basically, and I was, I was so into the story. I'm like, oh yeah, don't you dare say something like that. When you got a woman that's been through infertility that long, you better watch your words. Don't say, says the Lord, unless you know for sure. Because, that's too close to yeah. It's too sensitive. And so I was like, like really into this story, but the Lord grabbed my attention and took me back up to the verse before when it said about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And it hit me within a year, you ye will have a child. And I wow. thought, wow. So then what do we do when we get a word from the Lord sometimes? Oh, well, then it must going to happen this way. So I started counting the months. Okay. If it's going to be 12 months, that means I've got three months to get pregnant. Yeah. Nope. Didn't happen. Month one, two, three, didn't happen. But I was called on a mission trip to speak to women in Bransiris, Argentina. Mm. And when we were down there a few months later, because I thought, well, I guess I missed God. I just missed God. Yeah. And uh, it's okay, go on with life and just keep serving them. So I was down there speaking and there was one woman, poor woman, and she had a baby in her arms and she kept following us around the team. And she would say, this is my third baby. I can't afford to feed him. I want an American mommy for my son so that he will have a better life. Mm. He will have a better life with an American mommy. And our hearts were all breaking. And in particular, like she was following me. Yeah. So I was like, this was two weeks after 9-11 had happened. So security and everything's very heightened. And I was thinking, what would Daniel think if I came home with a baby? You know, then we (laughs) didn't have phones and texting, hey. Right, right. But at that point, my heart opened to the whole, I, I realized I could love this child as my own. Yeah. And my heart began to open. Meanwhile, Daniel was back here. And the Lord was showing him the same thing. Mm. So when I got off the plane, he's like, Lord, how do I tell Mary Beth? How do I tell her? How do I tell her? And then I said, well, let me tell you what happened when I was down there and I told him this story. I said, I wonder if the Lord is leading us now to to adopt. And he was like, ah, and he told me what happened to him. God had showed him.
0: So you're on the same page with adoption. I mean, you thought it was never going to happen. And now the Lord was leading you into adoption. And I mean, that can also take years. Adoption can be a very long process, but that wasn't your story. I mean, when God turned you on to adoption, it, it happened quickly, which you knew had to be God. It was.
1: And, you know, again, I, you know, I've shared that I've wrestled with fear during the year. So even after I believe God was leading us in that direction, I remember I had one conversation with my mom and I said, if we adopt, you know, what if she... Like hates me when she's a teenager or something, and my mom said, "Well, uh, one of your sisters, you know, hated me for a little while as a teenager." And I said, "Oh, I said, well, what if she rebels?" And she said, "Well, uh, one of my kids did, you know, a couple of my kids did a little bit of that too." I was like, "Oh, okay." And I said, "Well, what if um..." she's just mad at me because I took her out of her country?" Thinking my mom can't answer that one. Yeah, and she said. Well, they were mad at me too for a little while over some other things. So it doesn't matter if it's biological or adopted. Your kids can rebel, hate you, be mad at you, and love you. All in one package. Yeah. And so that kind of, all right, that took care of that. But I really, really began to seek the Lord. And again, I, I prayed fervently on this one. It wasn't a, okay, God, just, you know, toss up a prayer and go on. I was on my face. Yeah this was like serious. It's like, okay, first accepting the Lord, the next was the marriage. Now the next thing was adopting a child. I want it to be a good fit of the Lord. And um, so I knew that my heart was so open for that, but I prayed and prayed and prayed fervently. I was working at CBN part-time at that time because we had our our church. church here in Chesapeake. You know, when I was asking God to reveal his will to me in this area. I try, or, or any area, I try not to limit how he's gonna tell me. Like it has to be in the word, or it has to be through a person, or it has to be in a dream. I I never wanted to give God the parameters of how he was to reveal to me his will. So I left it. I was praying literally on my face prostrate before him every morning for like two weeks. And I was at work one day and I had signed up for the emails of the day and scriptures of the day and up popped this scripture. It's the first thing I looked at when I went into work, I looked to see what the scripture of the day was. And the scripture was, from Isaiah 58, starting with verse seven. And it said, I want you to share your food with the hungry. Mm. Give clothes to those who need them. If you do these things, and there's more to it, uh, your salvation will come like the dawn. Yes, your healing will come quickly. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. But that first verse seven is what really got my attention. I want you to share your food and to provide clothing. And I thought Oh my gosh, that must be. So I thought, I'm going to have to read it in my version Mm because I didn't know what version that was. I thought, okay, mm, all right, I'll get my version and see what it really says. Yes. (laughs) So, and then I looked in my version and it says that I read out of every day and it said, Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh. As you are aware, there are times a Bible verse will jump off the page and into your heart by the Holy Spirit during a particular moment or situation you're going through in your life. And as you may know, that is referred to as a rhema word versus teaching that particular Bible verse in its historical context. So what I'm sharing through my testimony are scriptures that the Holy Spirit spoke to me during these particular situations that I have faced in my life. Don't hide yourself from your own flesh. So this is what's interesting. When you adopt a child, after a while, you don't even think they're adopted. Yeah. It's like they're just so you. It's like they're your own flesh. There's just really no difference. Your love for them, your how you raise them, all of that. Yeah. So I was like, my own flesh. These key words like jumped out to me. So I immediately was like, oh, wow, I must call Danny and tell him. Well, the Lord said, no, do not tell him now. I was like, well, okay. So I minimized it and then I would maximize it and read the scripture again and I'd minimize it and throughout the morning I kept doing that. So I thought, okay, it's noon now, so maybe I can call. I called and his his admin assistant was like, uh, I don't know where he is. I cannot find him. He, you know, Usually he tells her when he leaves or whatever. But anyway, he was nowhere to be found. So I thought, okay, the Lord's telling me no still. So I waited later on that night when I got home. I did share with him. But back and up, when the Lord gave me that first, you know, back in 2001, that message out of uh, Second Kings about um, Elisha and the Shunammite woman, I hid that in my heart for a week. I didn't even tell Daniel. Yeah. I kept it in my heart for a whole week, and I was down with my mom. I just prayed about it and prayed about it and prayed about it. And the same thing with this. I felt like the Lord was saying, there's some time where I need, when I give you a word, Mary Beth, I need to incubate it in you for a while, and I don't need you to run out and tell yeah anyone for a while i need you to sit on it and to absorb it and so that's what i did and fortunately i was released to tell him that night
0: (laughs) (laughs) because you were bursting bursting."
1: (laughs) like a long day but the other thing about this though was we at the right time we began to share with other people closest friends and family godly people everybody was on board yeah everybody except this one couple, and they were like our spiritual parents. And it's not that they weren't on board with adoption. They love adoption. Yeah. But they were just concerned that we were adopting internationally. And would that be best for the child? So I went back to the Lord because I'm like, okay, it's a go way around except them. And I highly respect their opinion. Okay, so Lord, I come back to you. You have to show me again. Yeah, I just have to. I just have to know. I remember I'm the confirmation child, so I need yeah. another
0: confirmation,
1: <laughs> please. And again, it was probably about two weeks later, and um, again I was at work, and the scripture of the day was this, out of Micah six eight. No, oh people, the Lord has already told you what is good, and this is what He requires. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But what jumped out to me was, I have, the Lord has already told you, and this is what he requires. And then from then on, I was like, wow, it's a go. Yeah.
0: It's just a go. And so the journey began. It only took nine months. Wow. start. That's very quick for an international adoption, especially. Yes.
1: It was taking about 18 months about that time, even some could be about a year, but at that time, 18 months. But they thought South Korea was very good in giving the papers to us and um, as much information as they could. And so they thought there was a problem with her feet and they sent pictures. I took it to um, pediatricians here and an orthopedic pediatrician. And they said, no, we don't think, we, we think she'll be okay. It doesn't look like there's really going to be a problem but I said, well, would you mind writing a letter so we can get her home early to get it checked out? And they said yes. And so it, she got moved to the top of the list.
0: So you were able to go get her and bring her home almost a full year. So the timing
1: of this, when we got her home, it was some months later. I was looking back at her adoption papers, and it had the number of weeks. Okay, this is important. had yeah. the number of weeks that her birth mother carried her to term. I happen to just count back, and do you not know that that the week she was conceived was the week I got that word out of Second Kings. Wow. That was within a year, you'll have a child in your home. She was conceived the week the Lord gave me that scripture. Wow.
0: Just blew he, me away. He had already preordained Mm -hmm. that Maria Mm -hmm. was
1: yours. We ended up getting that beautiful little girl home. She was four months old and we, we got her home and we went over there. They would escort the children over, but we wanted to go because I wanted to get other pieces of the chapter for her. I wanted to hopefully be able to go and see where she lived and, you know, that kind of
0: thing, which we, which we did. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think also you mentioned that you met the foster mom and you asked her what songs she would sing. So you could kind of help Maria feel comfortable. And what did she tell you? That was so special.
1: We, we wanted to make the transition from Maria back here as smooth as possible. So we got the same formula to use for a little while. And so we asked the foster mom what did you play? Any lullabies or what music at nighttime for before bed would you use? So we could maybe try and find that and play it, so it'd be something familiar to her as she's adjusting to our culture. And um, she just said, "Oh," through the interpreter, she said, "Oh, I'm so sorry. All I did was read Bible to her every <laughs> night." <laughs> Oh, we were like, no apologies needed. That's perfect. <laughs> so she already had the word of God. Yeah, you know, um, spoken to her, read to her as an infant.
0: Yeah, God was yeah. preparing her in advance to be a theologian's daughter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, what are some of the not? And we're gonna we're gonna talk more about Maria's story and Mary Beth's story, but we're gonna wrap this particular episode up here in a minute, but what are some of the non-negotiables in your life, things that kept you grounded in your faith through some of the hurt and disappointment and moves that you've done? What are a couple of those things that women today can apply right now, wherever they are, whatever situation or circumstance they're in?
1: Yes, that's a very good. I think I, I had to resolve early on that God was God and I'm not and that he works in providential ways that he may make me privy to, and he may not. Mm. He may tell me things on this side of heaven, and he may not. Yeah. And so it all boils down to that one big word, trust. And um, that has really been my whole life. I have just had to trust him. That word is so overused, but you really experience it when you're in situations, you know, like some things you've been through and what I've been through. And it's that level of trust that takes you from, okay, I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to fret. I'm not going to rebel. I'm not going to go my own way. I'm not going to curse God. I'm not going to do any of those things because sovereignly he is working. And we'll learn more about that later as we talk. But one thing that kept a word that came to me early on in the whole infertility thing I was doing a Bible study It was one of K-author's Bible studies and in there we read some scriptures in Genesis and it I learned through that book that God opens the womb and God closes the womb And that was very freeing for me because then I realized it wasn't me. I wasn't doing things wrong. It wasn't that I didn't have enough faith. It wasn't that it wasn't anything on me. This was
0: God's doing for his purposes. And, you know, you were mature enough to not take offense at that and to not think God was punishing you by closing your room. Because I think a lot of women can feel like it's a punishment, Yes, especially when you read other scriptures and it's like be fruitful
1: and multiply, and you think, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying, and it's not happening. But I realized that my biggest, one of my biggest disappointments became one of God's biggest divine appointments. That's amazing. In bringing Maria to us.
0: As we wrap up this particular episode, Mary Beth, is there a woman in the Bible whose story inspired, encouraged, or taught you something during those years of waiting? And how does her story relate to yours?
1: I particularly love the book of Ruth. I love Ruth. She was bold. She was loyal. Un- I mean, unimaginably loyal, given her circumstances.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I could relate to her because she had lost her husband. She dealt with a great loss. Talk about a great disappointment. Yeah. Her story, how God ended up using her to show us that he is involved in every single day circumstances, so Naomi and her husband her mother-in-law Naomi and her husband had left Israel because it was in famine. yeah, and so when they left and they went to Moab, then their two sons of course, married Moab women. and the sons so that Naomi's husband died, then the two sons died. So Naomi was left with her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Opa. And she said to them, just you stay. I'm going to go back to my land. You know, you go back to your families and basically have a happy life, you know,
0: as much as you can. I can't provide for you, so. Right.
1: I have nothing to offer. And so the one daughter-in-law did, but Ruth just said no. Something must have risen up in Ruth where she was compelled to be that support and to be loyal to Naomi and so she refused to stay so she left her own country she left her own familiar surroundings she left her own way of life to follow this woman you go into a land where foreign women single were not very well accepted they get over there and of course Naomi and Ruth have this wonderful relationship well they have no money they, they have nothing and so then they try to work out how are you Can you go find food for us? And she just so happens, God's providence, so happens to end up in, which was Boaz's, which was a relative of Naomi's husband that had died, his field. He was a wealthy man, and he had a lot of field. Um, And so there were reapers there, and she was there kind of picking up the crumbs, hoping she could get some to take back to Naomi. And then Boaz learns about her, calls her a virtuous woman, was amazed at her loyalty to Naomi. As the story unfolds, they end up in love and getting married. And then their child, the son that they had, ended up being the grandfather of King David, which then was the lineage of the Messiah Wow, coming. So here in, in death and a dest- destruction, in a sense, and famine and how God worked in the day-to-day circumstances and that she's just been a real inspiration to yeah. me as i contemplate
0: her story yeah, yeah. god's faithfulness in the day-to-day aspects of our lives. She, are, she
1: didn't give up. Yeah. You know, she wasn't bitter. I, I don't see anything in the scripture where it says she was bitter of her circumstances. She was still principled in her character.
0: Naomi was bitter for a while, Naomi but not Naomi was, Ruth. but not, not Ruth. Ruth. Yeah. yeah.
1: But Naomi wanted to change her name. You know, yeah. Said bitter.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: She still, Ruth was still principled and, and did a very remarkable thing. Yeah. And God ended up
0: using her. Well, we've talked a lot today about hearing God how God speaks to us in various ways through his word, through other trusted and mature Christians in a still small voice through dreams and visions. He wants us to hear him. He's ready to lead us. He's ready to guide us in the way we should go. You know, when I was in my thirties, I found myself in a place of disappointment. I had always wanted a big family, but I wasn't married and I had just gone through a very painful breakup with someone I was sure was going to be my husband. In my devotions, you know, I went to the Lord, (laughs) like Mary Beth has said, you know, go to the Lord with your disappointments. So I went to the Lord. I was reading my devotions. Um, I was in Isaiah as well. And I read Isaiah 54, one, the contemporary English version says, sing and shout, even though you have never had children, the Lord has promised that you will have more children than someone married for a long time. Wow. You know, I was in my thirties. There was no prospects in sight, but That was a rhema word for me, a living word for me. Like we've talked about a rhema word. It came alive to me. You know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, that could be true for me. It sure didn't look possible, but not too many, not too many years later, I met and married my husband who was a widower with six children. Wow. I went from being single to having six kids overnight. (laughs) There's a lot of stories that could go into with that, but I won't, I won't. My point is God is faithful to fulfill the desires He puts in your heart. If you're in a place of disappointment or hurt, don't pull away from the Lord. Take extra time reading His Word. Sit in His presence. Pour out your heart before Him. He will meet you there, and He will lead you to a better place. So Mary Beth, would you take a moment and pray for everyone who listens to this? Sure, I'd love to. Lord, I just pray for the women
1: and even men, if there's men that are listening. Father, Sometimes our walk in this life can be difficult and hard and seem treacherous. And we wonder, are you there? We wonder, why are you being silent, God? It seems to us that you're being silent. But Lord, we also know that you do work all things together, that you work behind the scenes when we don't even see it happening at times. And that you are accomplishing your will and your purpose. And so I just pray for every person that's listening, that you would flood them with that peace that passes all understanding. Father, I pray that you would draw them into a deeper, closer fellowship with you, that they will never run from you, but run to you in walking out our call here on earth. Bless them, I pray. Do miracles for them. Mm -hmm. Meet their every need for their good and your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning
0: in. Remember to listen to the rest of Mary Beth's God Story in the next episode. And please like or follow Her God Story on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite streaming service, service so you don't miss it or any others. Check out our website at HerGodStory.org. There you can find show notes with scriptures and other information we talked about today. You can sign up for periodic emails and get a free downloadable devotional book. I also encourage you to check out our other ministry podcast, A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. There you'll hear teaching that will challenge and equip you as well as interviews with Christian leaders that will inspire you. And now, dear friends, I leave you with a blessing from Deuteronomy 1.11. May the Lord the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times and bless you as he has promised. Her God Story is a ministry of Somebody Cares America and International. To find out more about or support the ministry, go to somebodycares.org.